going to make the sermon very simple. I have three movements to my sermon. The first movement is give you a framework of how to think. The last, we've been in the middle of a, what's called a Sermon on the Mount series. We finished with the Beatitudes, and now we're in this part where Jesus goes into the law, how the law was taught, and then the intent of the law. And so I'm going to give you a framework of how to understand Jesus' teaching. Second thing we're going to go into is the specifics of the actual teaching. Because a lot, these two verses have been so misconstrued that people will hear a word and they'll springboard on all other ideas, and Jesus isn't talking about that. And you'll understand what I mean in a minute. The third thing I want to do is I want to go after your heart. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. So here's the first, the first movement, establishing a framework, and I want to ask it with a question. Why do you fertilize your lawn? People say, well, I want green grass. Yes, but it's not necessarily to make the grass green. Well, I want thick grass. In a sense, you do fertilize your lawn for healthy and thick grass, but you don't necessarily fertilize your lawn for that purpose. You fertilize your lawn to put nutrients into the soil. Because if your soil is good soil, then what feeds on that soil will be healthy, strong, and green. But if that soil is lacking nutrients, the grass will grow up to be patchy, weedy, and dry. So in a sense, you fertilize your lawn for the purpose of the soil. So what we're going to talk about today is the soil of the human being, what's in us, not what's outside of us. That's why we've been going through this part and calling it the spiritual dentistry series. A dentist goes deep, doesn't just give you white teeth, he goes after cavities, Root canal. Well, today we're going to go after heart. And the title of this is Stone Heart. If you can open up the Matthew 5, you'll see what the issue is. And you'll say, we're talking about this on Mother's Day? Blame Trevor. All right, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Here's what it says. Jesus is speaking, and he's been talking about, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, you've heard it said. Now he says it again, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Those are the two verses. Mark, good verses for Mother's Day, aren't they? Welcome back, Mark. It's so good to see you. It really is. It's really good to see you. Well, I want to give you a frame. So we're talking about soil. Remember, we're talking about soil. Because it's all about the soil. Two weeks ago, we talked about murder. Remember, we talked about murder. Thou shalt not commit murder. And Jesus said, let's go a little bit deeper. We're not really talking about murder. We're talking about what resides in the heart that causes the murder, which is anger and contempt for somebody else. So when you have anger and contempt in your heart, it's as if you committed murder. It's about the soil. Last week we talked about adultery. And we really didn't talk about adultery that much yesterday. We talked about what is the soil that adultery comes out of. The sinful soil of lust. If you lust after a woman in your heart, it's as if you committed adultery. That's so we spent our time last week on lust. Because that's really what Jesus is addressing. Now this passage, 31 and 32, is about divorce. Usually what people do is then they start talking about divorce. What are the grounds of divorce? What if somebody does this? 
But remember, Jesus isn't necessarily talking about divorce. He's talking about the soil that produces a relationship where you're done. What is the soil that produces divorce? A stone heart. We're going to talk about divorce in Matthew, but that's Matthew 19, and Trevor's going to preach on that. So when we get to Matthew 19, we'll talk all about the grounds of divorce, the design of marriage, what God intended. And he did say in Matthew 19, it's because of the hardness of the heart that Moses allowed a certificate of divorce. So the purpose is the stone heart is what causes it. But the stone heart also twists intent, and you'll understand what I mean in a minute. So today's sermon is about focusing on your heart, not figuring out when divorces are good and bad. So let's go to what Jesus is talking about. Verse 31. Verse 31 says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce or a writ of divorce, a legal document that allowed the couple to divorce or to separate, to split. And Jesus is actually referring to Deuteronomy 24. So if you go to Deuteronomy 24, I want to show you what's going on because we need to understand it to get to what he's saying about the heart. Deuteronomy 24, it's funny, a person after the first service said, I had no idea that was even in the Bible, because you'll never really hear about it, because the situation is odd, actually. So Deuteronomy 24, I'm going to read the first four verses. Verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, a writ of divorce, and puts that paper in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the later man hates her and writes her another certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the later man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled, for that's an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. I want to focus on verse 1. What in the world is a writ of divorce, and what is the original intent? So you could say it like this. The original intent, why did Moses allow for a writ of divorce? And truthfully, it's to reduce the chaos that's already been taking place. Something wrong has already been happening in the marriage. That should not be happening. And what Moses is doing is almost like a stopgap, one writer said, or a, a way to try to at least alleviate the pain that's already been taking place in the marriage. So what's happened? Basically, you could say this. The first thing is shameful behavior. In this passage, verse 24, shameful behavior of the wife is already occurring. Shameful behavior in a sense, something that broke the bond of marriage because of her defilement, what she's been engaged in. In Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and also Leviticus 18 talks about some of this behavior. If she is an adulteress, meaning sleeping with another woman's husband, or if she turns to prostitution, even go to Ezekiel saying she's adopting some of the cultural disgusting behaviors that the rest of the culture is doing around her, and continues in it. 
Leviticus 18 gets even more harsh. But the word indecent in the Hebrew means shameful, even naked sexual behavior that breaks the bond of marriage and has defiled the marriage covenant. If you read the law, when that happened, do you know what the course was in the Old Testament? Stoning. If anybody's caught doing this defiled behavior, stone them. Well, Moses actually gave the writ of divorce as a way for mercy to enter. Do you remember in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, Joseph's betrothed to Mary, Jesus' parents. He's betrothed to Mary. Mary's found with child before they had a relationship. So it says in Matthew, Joseph, in his mind, decided to quietly divorce her so he wouldn't bring shame upon her. That's the idea. A piece of paper is a lot kinder than a stone to the head. That's the point. It's actually a sign of mercy to give another chance for people. I'll talk more about that at the end. But what was happening in Matthew 5. Go back to Matthew 5, verse 32. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were not using the writ of divorce this way. They were using it as, like Jesus said, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, which was the first point, shameful behavior, makes her commit adultery. So he's inferring that they were offering this writ of divorce for the purpose of actually just giving somebody permission to get out of the marriage, to leave. I'm done. I'm tired. Actually, I can remember confronting a guy a long time ago, and why was he having an affair? And he said, about his original marriage, I'm exhausted. I'm just tired. So, so because you're tired, you have a right to get out of this marriage? And he just said, I'm just tired. In fact, if you read about some of the reasons for which they are getting out of the marriage were, in some rabbinical writings, ridiculous because the wife burnt the pot roast and the husband was tired of it. So, you could say this, they twisted the intent of the original intent and they used it to give them an opportunity to get out because they're done, they're tired, they're exhausted. They want to break the bond of marriage. Actually, I, don't you love my contrasted slide? You have no idea what it writes. Okay, so I want you to go to Malachi 2. I'll show you how this happened. Malachi chapter 2. Last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. God is upset with Israel. Specifically, in chapter 2, he's upset with them because they're coming before God and they're saying, why don't you answer my prayers? And he tells them why in verse 10, chapter 2. He begins in Malachi 2.10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? What covenant? Well, with God, but also with their spouse. Because look at verse 11. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So what was happening is some of the men in Israel, they would, 
invade a country or take over a country, and some of those foreign women would become maidservants. And they are a lot younger, and they would divorce their wife, but they rid of divorce and marry these women of a foreign god. You can, can keep reading. I'll show you how it says this. Verse 12. May the Lord come up, cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts with favor from your hand. So they're crying, why don't you listen? Well, verse 14. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she's the companion and your wife by covenant. So when you stand up before a church and say, I do, in a sense, even kind of like the parents did today. God's involved. And what they were doing is they were nullifying their marriage by giving a writ of divorce. It's sort of like how we have, we file for divorce for irreconcilable differences. No fault divorce. I'm just done. And God's saying, no, I never broke that bound. I never allowed that. But they went out. So they twisted it. And then what happens, according to Jesus in Matthew 5, is when you give your wife a writ of divorce for no other reason and you're done, you, you actually turn her into an adulteress. She has misery now. Imagine, imagine she's just older and your husband finds a younger lady and she's given a writ of divorce. Now she's kind of like a widow, left on her own, but somebody comes up to her and says, oh, you've been divorced. What does he think about her? She's probably an adulteress. So he's not only making her into an adulteress, if she gets remarried, in God's eyes their bond hasn't been broken yet, she gets remarried and the guy who remarries her is also an adulterer and she becomes an actual adulteress. Now this writ of divorce, which is given out of the wickedness of the heart, turns this, you could say, innocent person of the marriage into a real victim. It's cruel. It's really cruel. So I'm not going to go any deeper into this issue. What I'm going to go into is why does this happen? Why does this happen in our home? Because we know marriage is a, it's, a, it's kind of a normal thing now. Divorces, I mean. Why does this happen? And Jesus told us why. It's the soil. It's the soil. It's the hard heart. And in the NIV it says if anyone does this, they are accountable before God. It's a sin. So let's talk about the hard heart that leads to a family that once loved each other, now wants nothing to do with each other. How does that happen? And I think from not just inference, but other passages, I think there's a three-step process to the hardening of the heart, which I want to kind of bring to your attention so you can say, ooh, I need to change because my heart is starting to harden. How do you know if your heart is hardening? I think the first step is that love becomes conditional rather than unconditional. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It's all about unconditional love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. It's unconditional. There is nothing that should stop my love for another person. 
How do you know your heart is hardening? It starts becoming conditional. There are things that are starting to make me bitter. And I really don't want to love you like I used to. We enter into relationships sort of like in our culture as if it's a long-term contract. So we say it like this. If you make me feel good, I'll say nice things to you. If you satisfy some physical need, I'll buy you gifts. If you offer me a home, security, I'll clean the home. If you give me friendship when I'm lonely or you give me credibility with my friends and family, then I'll take care of you when you're sick. If you give me kids, I'll give you money to support those kids. If you make me laugh, I will cry with you. The question happens, what happens when someone can't hold up their end of the bargain anymore? Or they choose not to. Whether it be because they are just, there's some behaviors that have been trust-breaking, like pornography or something. Or what happens when somebody physically can't? For instance, and I use this with my premarital counseling, this is a true story. I used to take care of this guy named Billy. Billy was a paraplegic. I'd help him walk on Tuesday, Thursday. One day I'm driving around in his van. He had a custom van. We'd go to a parking lot and help him walk. And as we're driving around the van, I said, Billy, when did you turn paraplegic? He said, well, I was about 35. I was married for about seven years previously. I was a very, I had a lucrative job as a lawyer. My wife was beautiful. And what happened, I was snowmobiling in a snowstorm. And I hit a parked car. And I flew over that parked car going about 40, 45 miles an hour. And I landed on a fence on my neck. And my wife left me six months later. And he started bawling. Something in her mind said, I am, this is not fair. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. What happens if that happens? Whatever happened to sickness and health, rich or poor, well, you don't understand. I'm not getting my needs met anymore. Is that love? So the first sign that your heart is growing hard is your, you start dealing with conditions. As long as they can meet this, then I'll give this, where unconditional love doesn't say that. You can tell when someone, when love reaches conditionality, you start making lists and weighing hurts. And I'll say this, when you start doing that, I just want to tell you something. Your hurts will always seem heavier than the other people's hurts, always. Your list will always seem bigger than the other person's list. So when you start saying, you know what they did to me? Well, you know what you did to me? Ooh, hearts are starting to harden. Then you go to the second. But I would say, this is when the heart, starting to calcify down there and become like cement, starting to work its way up is when judgment starts triumphing over mercy. So I was looking up 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. And it had a cross-reference to Proverbs 10. Go to Proverbs 10. i got to tell you, I've never read this before. But this verse is one of those verses. If we believe it, I mean, if we believe the Bible is supposed to tell us how to live, i got to tell you, if you really read this, 
this should bring you to your knees. Or as Eugene Peterson said, sometimes if the Bible doesn't hit you like an ice pick to the brain, then you're not reading it right. This verse is an ice pick to the brain. It's Proverbs 10, 12. Proverbs are written in contrasts, or sometimes they're called parallel passages. We'll talk about one thing that's bad and then something related that's good. In this, verse 12 says, hatred stirs up strife. So when you're an arguer, you argue all the time, and, and you really get into arguing and anger, it's usually probably you're hating that person. Contempt, like we said before. But then look at the second part. But love covers all offenses. All offenses? All offenses. Yeah, but they forgot my birthday for the last two years. All offenses. They didn't get me flowers for Mother's Day. I I'm angry. All offenses. They've been looking at porn. All offenses. They take too much money out on credit card. I look at the credit All offenses. You mean one of those offenses doesn't stop my love? That's what I'm saying. I don't know if we believe that. But you can tell when judgment starts happening, instead of saying love covers all offenses, we say judgment sees offense in everything. Ooh, your heart's getting hard when you see offense in everything. You've left that wet towel on that bed about the six times in the last two weeks. I'm done with you. You didn't invite me to go out with your friends. Well, well, they invited me right after work, and I tried to call you. Weren't, no, you just don't want me to go. You see offense in everything. It's where our culture is today, honestly, and it's sad. It's why we are split so much. We view people's actions as purposeful offense. That's judgment. You didn't like the movies I chose, so you don't want to be with me anymore. I, did I say that? I just don't like the movies. No, you just don't want to be with me anymore. You see offense in everything. When that happens in your marriage, you are in dangerous ground. Mercy is built on trust. Judgment is built on insecurity. I, I'm just not sure that they love me, and they better perform, and that will prove that they love me. Ooh, that's dangerous. When you use words like, you always do this or you never do this, it's hardened. Cement is starting to harden. When you see your wife as your mom, because she's always scolding you, ooh, you see your husband as your boss because he's never happy with you, ooh, <laughs> the heart is starting to harden. This last one, though, is the worst. This is the one that shocks me sometimes as a pastor. When you start justifying cruelty. <laughs> when you start justifying cruelty. When you almost purposely try to hurt the other. Often that's what divorce does. You start litigating. And I have no pity for how much money they owe me. I don't care if I get everything. I hope they rot. This person you hope Rots is the person you said I do to about five, ten years ago. What happened? I don't care. What? That's a hard heart. Or you might still be married, but you're just done trying. I'm done. 
I'm just done. I'm not going to engage anymore. I'm just done. I'm going to go to my own room, and I'm done. That's a stone heart. That's what Jesus is talking about that brings grass that ends in divorce, is that stone heart. Some people may not be divorced, but they are cruel. When you raise a kid in a cruel home, you want to damage them? It's a good way to damage them. I'm going to talk about something real quick here. I shouldn't talk about it, but I just want to be honest with you. I have always wanted, I have a deep desire to have a new ministry called the Posse Ministry to men who are black holes. The the Posse Ministry is basically, I'd love to have a group of men with big trucks, big arms like you, Justin, and just come in to a home where the man is acting like a tyrant in the home, and I'd like to tie them up, bring them to UP, and say, until you change, you're going to be tied to a tree up in UP for the next three months. We might feed you. (laughs) And I'll tell you why, because sometimes I'll enter into a situation, and I'm going to tell you one that is, I'm not betraying any confidences, and I'm going to say names, but this actually happened. A man came into my office with his wife, And he was trying to justify why it's okay for him to have a mistress. And I was about two years in the senior pastorate. He had these these charts. It was really weird. Really weird. He's trying to justify this. And I looked at his wife and I said, are you okay with this? And she started crying. And he said, oh, she'll get over that. Our marriage is doing so much better now that I have this mistress. And I looked at the guy and, I, and I, I just, I wasn't ready for it. Like, I thought I was really dreaming. I really thought I was dreaming. And it woke me up to, whoa, I'm not sure I really know what's going on behind some homes. I assumed everybody's nice. As a pastor, I just assumed that. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. So I asked the guy. I said to the guy, I said, do, do you fear God? And he looked at me and he goes, oh, you're a young pastor. You're supposed to say that. No, I said, no, no, I'm not. Do you know what it's going to be like when you have to face Jesus and you're treating your wife like this? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to face Jesus when you ignore your spouse and haven't talked to her in 10 years or you haven't talked to your husband in 10 years? Because it goes both ways. He gave you somebody, his son or his daughter, to marry, and you treat them cruelly. You ready to face Jesus? Jesus says it like this. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man tear asunder. The implications of this is marriage is a God thing. It's not a human contract. God did this. He brought this together. And so just thinking you can get out of this with a quick loophole, because I've got a written document that some judge who really has no fear of God signed, means nothing. It's, uh, I, I got to be honest with you, one of the most shocking stories in the Bible to me is John chapter 4. Book of John. John is a close um, follower of Jesus, one of his inner circle buddies. And so John wants to reveal the humanity or the, the 
the heart of Jesus in the book of John. And so he's going to just show different miracles and stories. Doesn't tell the whole thing, but one of the very first stories he picks out is when Jesus is at the well in, in Samaria, and he meets this woman who was married four times before and is living with another guy. And she's one of the very first people he extends mercy to. Jesus is a merciful God. He wants us to be merciful. We do have people that are broken from divorce. We do. And God's mercy is amazing. But I would also say, do you extend your mercy to the spouse you're living with right now? Because that's what he wants. Don't let your heart grow hard. Don't let it become cement. You don't rule your house. It's Jesus' house. It's his house. Don't be a scolding mom and don't be a tyrant boss. Be a steward of mercy and grace. And I guarantee you everything will change. So I would say for Mother's Day, I think moms need this more than anything, to have husbands that change. So do the kids.